0: All right, this morning, Daniel chapter four. I actually want to start by by getting a little vulnerable with you all, um, sharing one of my one of my many many flaws. Um, there are particular seasons when I look back on them that, man, if I could do them over again, I would without a doubt uh, do them over and do them differently. One of those seasons was when Kela and I. Were dating not the fact that we were dating but how i how i handled myself in that in that season it's honestly one of the times i look back on my life and i just think like what in the world like was i thinking um, and to just get real and to get honest like up front and at the beginning like i did not treat her heart i did not treat her with the love the respect the 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 dignity that she deserved. So we ended up um, breaking up multiple times and she could tell you the dates, she could tell you the times, she could tell you how she felt uh, when, when those moments happened, um, not because she's holding a grudge, she just has an impeccable memory. <laughs> and I look back on all those times and I just think, like what in the world was I doing? Like what was happening in my heart, actually, one of the times that we broke up, Dave and Sydney were were leading a marriage and discipleship and like dating a discipleship group in their home, and I called Dave and I'm like, "Hey, man, we're we're not going to be there this week, um, <laughs> or the following weeks." Um, and you see it, it, that moment in my life, and in our relationship. Here, here's the reality of my heart and the condition it was in, everything revolved around me. Everything revolved around me. I was constantly asking the question, okay, is is Kilo the right one for me? Is this right for me? And at the root of it, I wanted to be in control. Like, I thought I knew what was best. I was at the center of my own little universe. And I can remember when the spirit of God began to just shift, um, shift and change my heart. It's like he was saying, hey, you're asking all the wrong questions. You're, you're thinking about this all the wrong way. What, what if you started thinking, hey, are, are you the kind of man that she deserves to have? What, what about her heart? Forget about your heart for a moment. What about her heart? What, what if you didn't cling so tightly to control and you simply just trusted me? What would happen if you did that? and something began to just soften in my heart. And I began to realize by the power of the Spirit, by the grace of God, by the grace of Hila, the world did not in fact revolve around me. I was not actually at the center of my own little universe. And when I I look in hindsight, when I look in hindsight, I I can see the arrogance, I can see the self-sufficiency, I can see the selfishness, but when I thought about it this week, at the root of it all, at the root of it all, was the sin of pride, was and is pride, this illusion that I was in control and I could control everything, that I knew what was best and I was better than anyone else. Ultimately, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't have said this, like I wouldn't have put language to it, but I was trying to be God. And I was not allowing him to be God. I was under this illusion, operating under this framework that was completely untrue. And today, as we continue in Daniel, we're going to see this really bizarre story. And I mean a really bizarre story. But in this bizarre story, we're going to see a very universal truth. That, That when we are at the center and God is not, when we are at the center and God is not, things do not go well. The sin of pride, what happens is it leads you down a path and it gives us this illusion that we are sitting on a throne that we were never intended to sit on. The phrase that kept running through my head all week and if you tune out for the rest and you hold on to this, I think, I think you will take what I'm trying to share this morning. The phrase that was running through my head all week was, God is God, I am not, and that is good. God is God, I am not, and that is good. Now, that's where we're going this morning, but before we jump into today's text, Daniel chapter four, I wanna quickly just kinda remind us, catch us up where we've been in the story the past couple of weeks, especially if you haven't been with us, because we're gonna get to a moment in the story in King Nebuchadnezzar's life that only makes sense if you think about the trajectory of where we've been. So Daniel chapter one, here's the catch up. Daniel chapter one begins, God's people had been in the promised land that he had promised them for almost 500 years. God had been faithful to deliver them from slavery and captivity in Egypt, but as things tend to go, as time passes, God's people, what, begin forgetting God's ways, begin forgetting God. God, time and time again, he's gonna call his people back to him, he's gonna say, hey, remember my ways, remember who I am, but they ultimately don't, they ultimately forget, they ultimately do not repent. And this allows uh, the Babylonians and its king, King Nebuchadnezzar, to overtake Israel, and this is where Daniel chapter one begins. The Babylonian empire is taking the best and the brightest, right? They're enslaving some, they're enlisting others, to serve in the Babylonian kingdom. This is where we're introduced to Daniel, Daniel chapter one. He's serving in the Babylonian empire, Daniel and his three friends. This is also where we're introduced to what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, the spirit of Babylon, a spirit that is still very much alive today. Now, the first week in Daniel chapter one, we looked at the spirit of Babylon's goal, culture's great goal, to change our identity to change your identity through isolation, through indoctrination and identification. Last week, we looked at the spirit of Babylon's great test. Daniel chapter three, the the test of culture. Will you bow your knee to culture and conform, right? Or will you stand out? Will you stand up and will you stand in for the sake of allegiance to God and the sake of the world itself? This week, we're gonna look at the spirit of Babylon once again and its great sin pride, arrogance, self-sufficiency, a spirit that is still very much alive today. So Daniel chapter four, I'm excited to dig in. It's a really beautiful kind of unique book when, when you look at the entire landscape of the book of Daniel. So the rest of the book is written by Daniel himself. Daniel chapter four is this letter from King Nebuchadnezzar. So it's this letter we get dropped in on from this character that we have been tracking. And it's written about 30 years after what we talked about last week, Daniel chapter three. So 30 years later, here we find ourselves, we're getting dropped in on this letter from King Nebuchadnezzar. And this is, this is amazing because this is the turning point of King Nebuchadnezzar's life. This is the story of the third miraculous, profound, and ultimately life altering encounter with Yahweh God. So here's what we're gonna see, and here's where we're going. We're gonna see how pride sends us down a path that we don't wanna take, and how humility wins one way or the other. And what I love about the story today, and here's what I want us to see as well, that in the backdrop of everything, we are going to see, and God's going to reveal insight into his heart, The fact that his heart will search, his heart will go after, his heart will will not stop until you are his. Now the choice is up to us, will we be? Will we be his? And here you have the heart of God going after this pagan monarch and he is not going to stop until he has the heart of King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, we're about to read a big chunk of scripture, the first part of chapter four. It's 29 verses, so hang with me here. 29 verses. That's right. I said 29 verses. We're gonna read it all. I did this on Thursday, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm gonna to have to do something different." But I couldn't figure out another way, so that's what we're gonna do. Um, here's here's how it's broken down. We're gonna we're gonna see the dream. So King Nebuchadnezzar is gonna have a dream, and then we're gonna see the interpretation of that dream. And then we're gonna see the fact that that dream is ultimately fulfilled. So the dream, the interpretation, and the fulfillment. Let's start with the dream itself, King Nebuchadnezzar in this letter. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, verse four, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid as I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream. A little different from the first time. He's like, all right, I'm gonna throw y'all a bone. I'm actually gonna tell you the dream at this time, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, I love that. It's like, finally, Daniel. It's like, when is he gonna learn? He should have just gone there in the first place. Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He's called Belteshazzar after the name of my God and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. And he said, Belteshazzar, chief of the musicians, musicians, magicians. I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream, interpret it for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant and on it was food for all until the wild animal's Under it, the wild animals found shelter and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. He goes on with the dream. He says, In the visions I saw while lying in bed, he says, I looked, and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. This is just an angel coming down. Just an angel. It's an angel. He called in a loud voice Cut down the tree and trim off its branches. strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit, let the animals flee from under it, and the birds from its branches, but let the stump and its fruits, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground and the grass of the field. Let him little shift there, it's like a picture, and it says, Let him. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the animals live with the animals among the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed to that of a man, and let it be given the mind of an animal, till seven times Passes by him. He continues. The decision, verse 17, the decision is announced by messengers, the holy ones, to declare the verdict so that the living may know, and listen to this, so that the living may know the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth. It gives them, he gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over them, the lowliest of people. Then verse 18, he says, this is the dream that I, Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now Belteshazzar, tell me what it means. For none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me, but you can because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. So Nebuchadnezzar, he lays out the dream. He says, this is is what I'm seeing. And I love that God, even at the end through this messenger, kind of gives Nebuchadnezzar a little bit of a hint as to what God is speaking in this dream, but Nebuchadnezzar hasn't quite figured it out yet. And so God's going to continue through Daniel and here's Daniel's interpretation of the dream. So here's the dream, now the interpretation. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time and his thoughts terrified him. He wasn't perplexed because he didn't know the interpretation of the dream. He was perplexed because he knew what he was getting ready to share. And so the king, and I love seeing just the relationship between Daniel and Belteshazzar, and, and, uh, And Nebuchadnezzar, I love seeing this. He said this. He says, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. He's like, oh, I wish this wasn't about you. I wish this wasn't about you, King Nebuchadnezzar, but this is about you. He says, the tree you saw, this is verse 20, the tree you saw which grew large and strong with its touch. top-touching the sky, visible to the whole earth with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter. Verse 22, your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky, and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Verse 23, your majesty, you saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven and saying, cut down that tree and destroy it. But Leave the stump bound with iron and bronze in the grass field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with wild animals until seven times passes by him. Now this is the interpretation. He's gonna continue to lay it out. He says, your majesty, this is the decree of the most high that he's issued for my Lord, the king. You will be driven away from people and you will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. That just means, hey, you're gonna be out in the elements. It's gonna rain. Seven times will pass by you, that's seven years, until you acknowledge that the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored. It will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, and once again, you see Daniel's heart for King Nebuchadnezzar. Be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right. Your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. Okay, we've got the dream. We've got the interpretation of the dream. And ultimately, we're gonna see the fulfillment of this dream a year later. Verse 28, all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as my royal residence? By my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven, this is what is decreed to you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and seven times will pass by you until you acknowledge that the most highest sovereign over all kingdoms on the earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox, his body was drenched with dew from heaven until his hair grew like feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. Welcome to church, ladies and gentlemen. Bizarre story, right? Pretty, pretty wild moment here. King Nebuchadnezzar had not had not taken heed to what, what God was trying to do the first couple of times. And so God's gonna say, hey, I'm, I'm gonna go until I fully have your heart. My son Isaiah actually was asking me last night. He's like, dad, what are you preaching on tomorrow? I'm like, let me tell you the story. As I kept going and going and going in the story, his eyes were like, oh, really? Okay. <laughs> he's like, I kind of wanna be in there for that. Now here's the thing. In the, in the midst of this really bizarre story, we see a really and deeply universal truth and tendency in the human heart. Here's here's kinda how I wanna frame up our time together. First of all, we're gonna glean from this story two areas of our life from this story that that potentially allows pride to flourish. You look at King Nebuchadnezzar, he's gonna end this story, just synopsis, he's gonna end this, he's gonna say, hey, those who walk in pride, he's able to humble. So we're going to look and we're going to say, hey, what areas of King Nebuchadnezzar's life, what was happening that didn't allow him to fully the first couple of times see, oh, God is God, I am not, and that is good. What's going on? What's choking out the potential of humility making its way in King Nebuchadnezzar's heart? What's What's in the way of producing a healthy fear of the Lord in the, in the heart of King Nebuchadnezzar? What's ultimately producing a heart of turmoil? And then we're gonna end by looking at two ways that I think if we live into them, they will extinguish pride and they will allow us to live lives of humility, producing a heart that ultimately is at peace. So throughout this wild story, God really, he, he speaks to this universal tendency in all of us, to put ourselves at the center. To put ourselves at the center. And God and his love through this story and many other stories in scripture is gonna help us understand, hey, that isn't good for you and that isn't good for the people around you. The way that it not only affects your heart and affects others' hearts. I think you probably see this playing out in your, in your own life and in the life of people around you more than you realize. I remember being really surprised as a parent like, how quickly the, the heart of pride and, and doing things on my own, in my own way, would rear its head with our kids. I was like, wow, really? Okay, too. here we go. Let's do this. My, my daughter, Grace, very early on was like, I want to change myself. Like, I do not want any of your help. The most intricate buttons, snaps, everything, like, I want to figure it out on my own. And so I realized, I'm like, okay, Grace, I'm going to let you do your thing. I'm going to let you try try and do this on your own. Eventually, what happened is she would come to me frustrated, and I'd be like, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to help you out here. But I think you probably could think about ways that you see the, the sin of pride taking, taking place in, in your life and the life of people around you. I was hanging out with some friends this weekend, and we were just kind of talking about uh, just their workplaces and different things they were seeing and experiencing, and One of my friends did not know I was gonna be preaching about this, says, ultimately, it comes down to pride. And I was like, oh, interesting, do say more. (laughs) He's like, you have in in my workplace this this desire to, to get ahead, and you're willing to get ahead at all costs. You're not willing to see someone else's perspective and point of view. More often than not, the person I'm working with thinks that they know better thinks that everyone else doesn't actually know what they're talking about. And what you see from King Nebuchadnezzar, and I think in many of our stories, is that the sin of pride has more far-reaching effects than we will realize, even, even when it doesn't start out this way. And I think this is the way of, of all sin. It's like, okay, this is, this is small. This isn't that big of a deal. We begin doing this in our heart and our lives, and something I read this week that I think is profoundly true. It says pride is a massive problem that usually creates a chain reaction of massive consequences. I don't think on, on, on the forefront do we see the reality of where the sin of pride is actually going to take us. And here's here's the problem in this story, here's the problem I think in our lives. Everything that was going on in King Nebuchadnezzar's life actually reinforced this delusion that he was at the center. Think about it. He, he was a king. Like anything he wanted, when he wanted, all the time. He's like, okay, I'm going to conquer Israel. Yes. Okay, done. Hey, I want an Americano. Check. Done. Like whatever he wanted, when he wanted it, like at his disposal. I also think this is a problem for us. This isn't too far off from what we have become accustomed to. In a culture that is so self-obsessed, social media saturated, where every opinion seems to hold equal weight, it is not a surprise that we find ourselves at the very center of our own little universes when everything around us is reinforcing this delusion that you can and you should control your own destiny. The spirit of Babylon is very much alive and well. It's working in the little algorithms that are keeping us at the very center of our own little worlds. Nothing is off the table. I don't think we have to look very far in our world today to realize, oh, this in fact is an issue. Probably not beyond your own very heart. This issue of, of arrogance, self-sufficiency, ultimately rooted in something called pride. I think it is looming larger than it ever has in our lifetime. Now, I think we can glean a few things here from King Nebuchadnezzar. So let's take a moment, and I don't wanna just be like, oh, that's never, let's, let's heed these words of wisdom. Like, let's look at this story and think, okay, God, where, where is the spirit of Babylon? Where is the sin of pride in my life? Before, before we go pointing the finger at anyone else, let's, let's look at ourselves. Let's look at two places where I think pride potentially flourishes. The first one, jump back to verse four. I don't know if you caught this the first time. Probably didn't, because we read a lot. Uh, verse four, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous, Everything that happens to Nebuchadnezzar does not happen when he's in the moment of great need and desperation. He's comfortable, right? Life's going pretty well. He is, he's sitting in a flipping palace. Like, I mean, that's the reality of his condition. Now, before you go judging, and man, God was really speaking this to me this week. I think if there was a book written about the American church, I think some of the first descriptions would be contented and prosperous. I think it's the first area where pride potentially f- flourishes, choking out humility. Number one, prosperity. We're going to name it prosperity. Things are going really well for King Nebuchadnezzar. He had wealth. He had health. All, all was up and to the right. Everything was prosperous. Have you ever noticed that when things are going really well, you have a tendency to to not need God quite as much? I hate the fact that the times of greatest dependency and humility and growth in the Lord, when I look back, have come in my moments of, of deepest pain, have come in my moments of deepest hardship, you see, when the bills are paid, when you and the family is healthy, when the budget looks good, when the vacation's on the calendar, when relationships are thriving, there is this tendency, it's not always true, there's this tendency not to rely and trust and lean on God. And what happens? Pride begins to creep in. Most of us, and myself included, most of us don't know how to handle prosperity, And the spirit of Babylon and the enemy realizes this. The enemy takes full advantage of us living in a time in a country where comfort and prosperity, it's not just the norm. It's like the very thing that we're going after. It's the very thing that we're chasing. It may be the biggest idol that that we worship in this time, in this place. Comfort, prosperity. But what happens, like when you think back on your life, like what happens when times are hard? What happens when moments are difficult? Those moments when in the blink of an eye, everything changed. The the direction you thought you were headed, the way that you thought life was gonna go, boom, in an instant, not what you thought it would be. It's that moment when you or a loved one like gets the diagnosis and you're like, this is not at all how I thought things were going to go if I was in control, this is not at all the story that I would write. That that moment when the divorce papers get slid across the table and you find yourself signing them, not at all how you thought life was going to go. That moment when your boss, he calls you in and says, hey, unfortunately we're gonna be downsizing and and your position is gonna be the one that we're, we're letting go. These moments, If you haven't had them, they're gonna come at you. They're gonna happen. When you realize, oh, everything that I built, everything that I thought was standing strong in an instant, in a moment, has the ability to come crashing down. And I don't say this to scare us. I say this to simply humble us, to know God is God, we are not, and that is good. And just a little bit later, we're gonna talk about this act of trust what it looks like for us to trust. But the second thing I want us to look at, let's, let's continue kind of looking at how pride can flourish in the life of the human heart. Number two, we're gonna name perspective. So first one, prosperity. The second one, perspective. Let's look at verses 26 and 30. Verse 26 and then verse 30. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you, which is really cool of God, you know? Like, he's like, hey, I'm not gonna chop it all the way down. I'm gonna leave some room. But he says this when you acknowledge that heaven rules, hey, you need to have this kind of perspective. What happens? Let's go to verse 30. He said, is not this the great Babylon that I have built as my royal residence by my mighty power for the glory of my majesty? Everything here is gonna teach us we have to have proper perspective. God, through, through a dream, he's trying, he is working. In King Nebuchadnezzar's heart, he's saying, hey, I wanna root the sin of pride out of your life. This is not going to end well but we don't really get to hear the response from King Nebuchadnezzar immediately, just as, hey, a year later. But we, we do realize, hey, he did not heed Daniel's warning. He did not come to full repentance. He did not ultimately gain proper perspective. God is God, I am not, and that is good. Everything that he had built was not by his own power. Everything that he had built was not by his own goodness. And God in his kindness is coming after the heart of King Nebuchadnezzar. His perspective, King Nebuchadnezzar's perspective had been formed by the spirit of Babylon. And sometimes I think our, our perspective gets co-opted by the spirit of Babylon. This perspective that says, hey, you, you made it because you You're good, you you made it because of your gifting. Now here's, here's the good news. When we declare the truth, like when we just say, hey God, everything comes from you. When we just say that, it is yours. Like I am who I am and I am where I am because of you. It restores our perspective. It straightens out our thinking. It reminds us of what is actually true. When you begin to declare, hey, God is God and I am not. There's this, there's this reality that begins to happen in the human heart. It restores us from a place of insanity to sanity. So we're gonna see here in just a moment in King Nebuchadnezzar. See, success and prosperity have this way of blinding us and giving us improper perspective. In a, in a hyper-individualized, success-driven culture, we think we are who we are because of how hard we worked, because of giftings that were given to, not given to us, but because of us. And here's the reality: everything you have and everything you are is because of God, His grace, His goodness, His love. King Nebuchadnezzar, up to this moment, was not acknowledging, "Oh, heaven rules." And the question I've been asking myself all week is like, do I live in a posture that says, hey, heaven, you rule. God, you are the king of kings. You are the Lord of lords. Who is the king of the kingdom? Who is at the center of the universe? You or the one who actually is? What is your perspective on life? You see, we're living in a generation where the spirit of Babylon is still very much alive. This spirit manifests in a number of ways, but I think one of the ways that it manifests is everyone is wise in their own eyes. We live in a world where everyone is wise in their own eyes, and that hasn't always been that way. There's complete disregard for heaven's way. God's way, God's guidance, God's insight on what a flourishing and good life looks like hard to find. People will often kind of refer to this age that we're in. Hey, it's a a progressive age with this implication that God and his ways are outdated and archaic. But this is the essence of of all sin and pride in a nutshell, my way instead of God's way. And my question this morning that I want us to really assess, hey, whose ways are we living by? our own or, or, or heaven's. Now, the story has a pretty incredible ending. Now, let's, let's jump back into the story and see, see what happens. Verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, I raised my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High and I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion, he breaks out into the psalm. It's so cool. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom." My advisors and nobles sought me out. I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. The spirit of Babylon is saying, hey, do your own thing. Go your own way. You are the king of your own kingdom. But in this story, in the heart of repentance here in King Nebuchadnezzar, it gives us insight on how we can wage war against this spirit and give us and make space for the spirit of God to nurture in us a heart that fully exalts and praises him. So two, two quick things. First thing I think we see, praise. If you want to squash out, if you want to extinguish pride, live a life of praise. It says he it says he raised he raised his eyes towards heaven and his sanity was restored. He says this, it says then I praised the most high, I honored, I glorified him who who lives forever. There is something about our need to praise and worship and glorify God that restores our hearts and minds to the proper place. It's like God designed our hearts It's like God designed our beings to praise him. When we don't, things do not go as designed. Praise, this includes giving God glory, giving God credit for all that you have. Praise, what it does is it resets the heart to proper perspective that heaven rules. Second thing I want us to live into this week, trust and humility. Nebuchadnezzar in verse 37, he talks about God and he says, hey, everything he does is right. All his ways are just. Those who walk in pride, he's able to humble, walk in humility. He has finally and fully surrendered to God. He trusts and he has the humility to say, hey, God is God, I am not, and that is good. I've heard someone say, and this is where we end, if you'll start your day on your face before the Lord, there's no way to go but up. The man or woman on their face will never fall from that position. The spirit of Babylon, the sin of pride, it is crushed not by standing strong on our own power, but by laying down face down in a posture of acknowledging that we can't do it on our own. So this morning, what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna invite us to hold our hearts and our lives out before the Lord and just say, God, is there any place of pride that I need to surrender over to you? Is there any place that I've, I've been doing things on my own? Is there any place where the spirit of Babylon has co-opted my perspective? And then I'm gonna invite us into a posture of surrender. So let me, let me pray for us. I'm gonna invite you to stand this morning. Yeah, Father, I I too just stand with my with my hands open with my heart open. I just say, God, you you are God and I am not. And that is a good thing. When I put myself at the center of my own little universe, things do not go as they were intended to go. And God, I ask that in Your grace, in Your goodness, this morning, You will reveal to us the places where pride has crept in. You will, You will, in Your goodness, in Your love, You You, you will help us to walk in humility by the power of Your Spirit. In the name of Jesus, will You give us that Philippian? to type of humility, who who do not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but laid down your, your rights for the sake of others. Will you help us to live with that kind of life for the world around us? Will you make us a church that is marked by humility and trust and praise? not leaving any room for, for pride or selfish ambition or self-sufficiency, but where we're fully leaning on, where we're fully trusting you. And I pray this all in the name of Jesus, amen. Hey, I invite us with, with our hearts before the Lord to come to the table this morning. We take communion each and every week where we look to Jesus, the source and the goodness of our life. And we say, it is, it is because of your work that we're able to come into the presence of God. And so let's do that together this morning.